You are listening to Ingridopedia, uh, a factual food fight where we, over three rounds, will talk about a specific ingredient and argue about who is more interesting about it. Uh, we're back to being a podcast. We've been a radio show for a little while. Yeah, I can relax. It's really good. Um, so you, you can know that we're editing the shit out of everything we say. <laughs> that was the fourth take of that. I think the best. Do you think we got there, Em? Um, don't know. Okay, Might have to go. clean it up. Let's go for number five. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to edit the shit out of that. No, I'm kidding. Um, so let's get an ingredient happening. Okay. So I was listening to my favorite food podcast, The Unbearable Lightness of Being it's, Hungry. It's with, a very good podcast. With Lee Tran Lam. And she was talking about how chefs are finding it hard to do smashed avocado on toast at the moment because avocados are so expensive. Yeah. Um, and she compared it to when bananas used to be really expensive because of Cyclone Larry. Yeah. Wiping out 90% of Australia's banana crop. Dark days. Yeah. Super dark. And I'd forgotten about that. But I remember it now because I was working at a supermarket during the great banana drought. <laughs> and um, bananas were actually $15 a kilo. That's insane. Yeah. And like, pe- people were still buying them as well, well weren't they? Well, a few people, like select people were buying them. Yeah. So... Like, yeah, today they're 99 cents a kilo and I bought a banana today for 25 cents. Mm. Um, But yeah, during the banana drought, people were like buying one individual banana and I'd be looking at them like, oh, you think you're so rich with your one (laughs) banana? It probably won't even taste good. And then everybody who bought a banana told me about it. They're like, oh, I just need it. It's my treat. I know it's so expensive. And then... I'd just be like, yeah, well, I have to work for three hours to afford a fucking bunch of bananas. That so. one banana. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, bananas are in plentiful supply at the moment, so they're all good. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, we are going to talk about bananas this episode, so let's get into it. One of my friends, um, Anna Webster, who also writes for Broadsheet and actually was on MasterChef, she shared a link with me recently about um, unfashionable recipes mm. from news.com.au and the article mentioned a cookbook called Be Bold with Bananas which is published in 1972 Oh, it's a good year for bananas, I'm um, sure <laughs> by the Bananas Growers Council So the front cover's <laughs> yellow has a picture of a dish that I have no idea what it is It's a pot with like potatoes and some kind of meat chopped up with little circles of banana all through it Mm-hmm um, and there are lots of banana recipes in there. And one of them really stands out. Yeah. It's called the banana candle. Um, yes. Or should I say the banana dick? It's <laughs> extremely phallic. And I um, honestly think this, the writer or whoever created this recipe had to be in on the joke because it's, I mean, it kind of looks like a candle, but. Um, but it mostly looks like a dick. Yeah. So I made it. I didn't bring it in because I didn't want to take it to work. <laughs> Can want to carry that on the tram? I've got some photos though. So I'll just describe it first and then I'll show you the photo. So to make it, you take a banana, cut the end off so it can stand on a plate and then cover it in lemon juice, I guess so it doesn't go brown. Mm-hmm. And then you get some tinned pineapple rings and put the banana through the pineapple ring. And then you cover the top of the banana with mayonnaise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's mel- melting wax yeah, in inverted which is commas. melted wax. Yeah. Um, dripping candle wax over the 
banana and then you put half a glass of cherry on top to be the candle flame. Yeah. And then you cover the base. Which in. really just looks like some sort of skin <laughs> condition. And then yep. you cover the base in lettuce leaves. <laughs> why? Well, I don't know why. why. I guess that means it's a salad. <laughs> this is a... I'll put a picture on Instagram, but I just quickly want to show Ben a picture. Oh, Lord. Is that the one you made? <laughs> yeah. That's quite nice. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I don't know whether it's a table decoration or meant to be eaten, but I guess like the presence of lettuce might mean it's a salad, but then the combination of banana, pineapple and mayonnaise points to it not being edible. <laughs> um, but it was 1972. Yeah, I know, but oh, I just can't believe some of the shit people were eating back then. I don't then. know if you remember back to our <laughs> pineapple episode. I remember, the, yeah. The liver worst pineapple. Yeah. That was, me- that was meant to be eaten, so mm. never assume. I, so I'm just going to say it's a decoration because I didn't eat it. Okay. So it's a candle that looks more like a dick than a candle. A dick candle made of food. Delicious. <laughs> Okay, well, while we're talking about the comedic potential of bananas, um, have you ever laughed at somebody slipping on a banana peel? In a uh, movie or in real life? Oh, have you ever slipped on a banana peel? I never have. Even when you worked um, at a supermarket? No, I've slipped on grapes. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, don't actually, I don't know if I've laughed at someone slipping on a banana peel. Okay, well, I, I'm not sure if I have either, but that seems kind of unlikely that I wouldn't have given how far back the joke of slipping on a banana peel is. We're going to have to go back into the mists of time to just after the Civil oh War in the United States. That's not it's unrelated. I just wanted to throw that in there. Uh, in 18, 1866, uh, a man by the name of Carl B. Frank began importing a long yellow fruit called a banana into New York City from northern Panama. Uh, this was the first time that someone had tried to mass import bananas into the United States. It had been around, like sailors had brought it um, uh, as, a, as a sort of curio from overseas. But this was the first time somebody had brought it in wholesale into the United States, 1866. And it really caught on. So at the Centennial International Exposition of 1876, which was the first World's Fair to be held in the United States. So almost like World Expo 88, together we can show the world, but 1876. Um Bananas wrapped in tinfoil were sold for 10 cents each to the curious shopper. This is from a website called Today I Found Out, which is a very good website, BT Dubs, if anybody wants to try that out. Uh, Within a few years, bananas became a favorite fruit and a common street food. So that's where you kind of had a whole bunch of bananas in a city like New York that didn't have great sanitation. Sanitation at that time consisted mainly of free-roaming pigs eating garbage. That's for real. They actually had pigs eating garbage, which meant that there were a lot of discarded banana peels and it didn't take long for it to work its way into comedy. So according to the website Mental Floss, vaudeville comedian Sliding Billy Watson invented the banana peel pratfall, slipping on a banana peel for comedy. Supposedly, Watson witnessed a man struggling to maintain his balance after slipping on a peel. And that inspired his sliding act, which gave him his name, Sliding Billy Watson. Uh, Then a a comedian called uh, Cal Stewart, who had a a character called Uncle Josh, brought it to to radio. I'll I'll, I'll play a little bit of uh, Uncle Josh in a department store. We'll see if you can sort of hear this. I started out, I was walking along down the street where some fellas rode a banana peeling on the sidewalk. Well, now... 
I don't think very much of the man who throws a banana peeling on the sidewalk. No, I don't think very much of the banana peeling who throws a man on the sidewalk neither. <laughs> excellent turnaround there, Uncle Josh. So that's um, Cal Stewart, a comedian from uh, 1908, November 1908, according to YouTube. Uh, so it, he filled his uh, recording of Uncle Josh in a department store with banana peel gags. Um, the gag first appeared on the... Silver screen uh, in the Harold Lloyd silent film The Flirt, and since then it was picked up by Charlie Chaplin, Laurel and Hardy did it, Buster Keaton, Bugs Bunny, uh, Woody Allen used it uh, in his film Bananas, and Adam Sandler, um, to name a few comic geniuses. <laughs> what Adam Sandler movie? Uh, I'm not sure. I'll, I'll, I'll look at. I'm probably. <laughs> well, Billy. it wasn't Happy Gilmore because I know that back. Feels back. like maybe Billy Madison. <laughs> um, so it's it's found its way into, into comedy. F- via the slippery streets of New York City in, in the late 1890s and early 1900s. But are banana peels even that slippery? Luckily, I found out via one of my heroes, Dr. Carl. Uh, You're going to ask... Doc- no, not Dr. Carl Kennedy <laughs> from Neighbours. Alan Fletcher, Fletch. Um, no, uh, Dr. Carl Krusiniski, who looked into it in 2012. He said, according to Japanese scientists, uh, and uh, scientists who won the 2012 Ig Nobel Prize, which is the sort of uh, Nobel Prize for uh, kind of frivolous and stupid scientific research, uh, they won with their research uh, where they were looking into the frictional coefficient of the banana peel. Apparently, the frictional coefficient of the banana peel on a linoleum surface is 0.07, which is amazingly low, better than metal-on-metal metal lubricated by oil. In fact, banana peel is not much worse than Teflon-on-Teflon. Teflon. So, yes, Bugs Bunny was right to throw them in Alma Fudd's path. As long as he's on linoleum. Yes, or on Teflon. But either way, they're <laughs> slippery and, according to history, hilarious. I'm just going to come out and say it. Bananas in pyjamas isn't what it used to be. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the animated, creepy yeah. animated yes, series. The yeah. CGI creepy animated I bananas in pyjamas. Look, Doesn't I, look like it. I am invested in this. My um, three and a half year old son, he went through a stage of, of watching it. He doesn't watch it so much now. Uh, all I can say is thank goodness for like catch up television because even if, if if it's on, I just want to avoid the hell out of it. It's weird. Yeah, it's There's so a rat weird. that's got some weird, oh, uncanny valley thing going on. The characters are okay. Like the characters come from a history, which I'm going to explain. Okay, but it's just it's just the way that the, they're um, shown that is the problem. Okay. So I wanted to find out how bananas in pajamas came to be and then track their demise because mm-hmm. I know that they did used to be good. So you know Enid Blyton. Yes. A children's book author who wrote The Wishing Chair and The Faraway Tree, mm-hmm. two of my favourite books as a kid. Naughty. Oh, did she? Oh, yeah, she wrote Naughty. Mm. Mm. Not as much Not like jelly filled worlds as yeah. like The Faraway Tree and yeah, stuff. Sure. But um, her nephew wrote a song about bananas in pajamas in 1967. And then Play School used to play that song on their TV show, along with an animation of bananas in pajamas, which wasn't creepy. It was just like. One of those really shitty animations, like a cartoon. And then Play School made a plush version toy of one of the bananas in Mm pyjamas, which was based off the cartoon. And then the TV show started in 1992, which was like 
they were on a set and men or and women were dressed up in these huge banana costumes yep. and like there were teddies and mm-hmm. you didn't know if the teddies were kids because they were so much smaller than the bananas and it was just so confusing to watch and I just spent mm. the whole time working out like who the hell was inside these costumes. Yeah. And through um, researching for this episode, I found out that the person who played Rat in the Hat mm. was the same person that played Gino, the hairdresser, on Neighbours, who worked with Lynn Scully at Good Hair Day. <laughs> um, so Bananas in Pajamas is also launching Australian TV careers, the original Bananas in Pajamas. I don't remember Gino, the hairdresser. Um, you would if I showed you a picture. Okay. Yeah. Are you sh- Okay. You would. We've talked oh, about... Oh, maybe not. Maybe were you watching Neighbours like in 2006, uh, I think I, do, I don't think I was, okay. but like, you know. Oh, that's weird. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they were also in the Olympics closing ceremony yep. in the year 2000. Yep. So... Iconic. Yeah. Until 2002, they made 300 episodes, which is a lot mm. for like dressing up every day, acting out shit. Mm. Um, and so... Went on a break and nine years later, they relaunched the Bananas in CGI. And it's honestly one of the worst things I've ever seen on TV. The song's too fast and it sounds like they're on crack and it's just confusing for children. Yeah. It's got none of the magic of knowing two fully grown adults are in like suits just entertaining you, mm-hmm. being weird. And they're the actual faces of the bananas. I mean, the whole banana is just completely out of proportion. Like they've got the big head bit, but then they just have a body that's tiny and normal. <laughs> Yeah, you're and, right. And <laughs> wow. the voices are really bogan. Lulu used to have a Spanish accent. What's or Lulu? Or like the, one of the girl teddies. Okay. Oh, yeah. And she's just bogan Australian yeah, now. Yeah, and now they're like, oh, hey, Ted. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I'm reliving it. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, so in 2013, there were articles suggesting that the ABC was going to axe Bananas in Pajamas, the CGI mm-hmm. version, because there wasn't enough funding to keep making it. And there was an outcry for some reason. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure they didn't axe it because it still seems to be torturing people. Yeah, like including you. me. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, I feel tortured. I'm going to have to, I need something <laughs> to get the taste of bananas in pajamas out of my mouth. Luckily, I come bearing gifts, Em. Here, cool. some lolly bananas for you. Home, home brand version. So they're hard enough to break your teeth. <laughs> Uh, they're, they're basically stale before you open the bag, uh, but they are, yeah, they're, yeah, banana lot. They're from today and they're really, they were stale before <laughs> I bought them. Um, so the ingredients of, um, of these lolly bananas are, uh, sugar, wheat, glucose syrup, invert sugar. So that's three kinds of sugar, beef gelatine, mm, delicious, uh, wheat starch, natural banana flavor, 0.2% and natural color. Now, I want to talk about natural banana flavor because they're saying natural banana flavor, but does this taste like a banana to you? It doesn't even really taste like fake banana, to be honest. No, it's just sugar. <laughs> yeah. But no, it, it doesn't. It doesn't taste anything <laughs> like a real banana. Banana no. flavoring is not one of those flavors where you go, like say vanilla. F- fake vanilla mm. still tastes like vanilla. Fake banana does not taste like banana. One theory for that is that the fake banana flavoring isn't actually mimicking the bananas we eat today. It's mimicking a long lost banana. Mm. So to talk about banana flavoring, we need to talk about the Gros Michel. The Gros Michel was the banana that was brought to the United States from Panama in 1866 and got, you know, uh, slipped on in the street and brought into the comedic world. Uh, It was sweeter than our common banana today. 
um, stronger in flavour and maybe even a little bit faker. We don't really know because in the 1950s, Panama disease, a wilt caused by the fungus Fusarium oxysporum, hit the banana. Interesting side note, in spite of its name, Panama disease probably originated in Southeast Asia and was first reported in Queensland in 1876. But that's just a side note. Yeah. Uh, it is also thought to have inspired the song Yes, We Have No Bananas due to a, a banana shortage in the 1920s caused by Panama blight. But it hit really hard in the 1950s and basically wiped out vast tracts of Gros Michel plantations in South America and Africa, which um, serviced the, the West. And it basically ruined its market in the West, leaving the newfangled supermarkets that had opened up um, across the West post-war devoid of bananas. So in order to keep the shelves stocked and keep people buying bananas, they basically developed a whole new strain of bananas, the Cavendish, and that's the banana that we know today. The Gros Michel still exists in Thailand, Malaysia, and Indonesia, but it's not the type we get on the supermarket shelves, which means that the bananas we eat today aren't the bananas that banana flavoring was developed to fake. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. And But I want to try what the Gros Michel banana tastes like. Well, I didn't have time to go and get some, so <laughs> instead I bought this bag of stale supermarket I, bananas in. I feel like the strongest thing you can have fake banana flavouring is a banana Big M. Yeah. That's I did. intense I fake didn't. banana. What about a ba- Barney banana? Do you, uh, do you, do you remember the bana- Barney banana? It was an icy pole. No. It, oh, I I remember it and I remember not getting it. Yeah, right. Well, it <laughs> tastes like why. a banana big end, but in an icy pot. Um, so <laughs> that, that the theory that um that that banana flavoring is mock uh, is um the theory that that banana flavoring is is faking Gros Michel has been kind of explored. There's a great article by the um on the BBC where they um, say that it's kind of maybe not as neat as that, but it was really long and had a lot of science to it. So I just prefer the possibly incorrect theory that Barney Bananas, Banana Big M's, and this bag of stale, horrible bananas aren't fake. They just taste like long-lost ghost bananas. (laughs) All right, so I've got a banana here. Wow, you really brought in props. Okay. (laughs) Show Show me how you would normally peel a banana. Okay, um, taking the stem of the banana, mm-hmm. I'm snapping it off. Interesting. And I'm peeling it down. Okay. And then, then uh, I'll grab stop the now. Okay. Stop now. All right. Um, let me have a look. <laughs> Seems like you've got a little bit of a bruise on the banana, so oh. it's not the most efficient, really? effective way. Have I been doing it wrong? You've been doing it my wrong my whole life. Yeah. Um, so. That way was also how I peel it. And I guess it's like how you think the banana is supposed to be peeled because it's got like this like handle thing and you're like supposed to peel it that way. Yeah. But actually, do you know who peels bananas better than us? Monkeys. That doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um, they hold the banana upside down. Yeah. I haven't actually practiced this so, before, so I'm, so I'm not, landing on the job. Yeah, not the stem, like not the stem that's yeah, connected the to the bunch. Yeah, the other bit that yeah. like doesn't have the long bit on the end. Yeah. And then they pierce it. I mean, they squeeze it, yeah. So it just um, kind of like snaps in two, yeah. And then they peel it, so there's no like, really, no, um, no squished bit. So, um, in some ways, we're more evolved than monkeys, but in other ways, they still have so much 
um, to give. Why? Why and monkeys? For us to learn. <laughs> but why are monkeys so concerned about? Oh, it's, it's a tiny bit bruised at the top because it really wasn't that bruised. Well, it's also just it's it's hard to peel it via the top bit. Like sometimes you just stand yeah. there, like trying to peel it, yeah. and it just okay, doesn't. Look, and I then haven't it splits tried it. down the back, and then this is a much more effective way. And there are lots of YouTube t- tutorials um, on the internet if you want to know exactly, like, um, visually how to peel a banana like a monkey. Like a monkey. Okay. All right. I'll look it up. I, I we can learn a lot from our <laughs> friends without opposable thumbs. Mm. Okay. Well, I've been learning about food this week because apparently this isn't a Civil War podcast. It's a food <laughs> podcast. I think we classified it all wrong in the iTunes store. Um, I want to talk about banana flour. Oh, I don't... Is this like a crazy gluten-free thing? It's a gluten-free. It's very popular on like paleo websites. So I'm not surprised that you haven't heard about it. I just was watching MKR, so go on. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Banana flour is a powder traditionally made of green bananas uh, that is often used as a gluten-free replacement to wheat flours or as a source of resistant starch, which has been promoted by certain dieting trends such as paleo and primal diets. Um, it has a very mild banana flavor raw, and when cooked, it has an earthy non-banana flavor. Hmm. Uh, mm, non-banana, delicious. <laughs> it also has a texture reminiscent of lighter wheat flours and requires about 25% less volume, making it a good replacement for white and uh, white whole wheat flour. Uh, and it's popular among people suffering from celiac disease and, and uh, that are gluten intolerant. Historically, banana flour has been used in Africa and Jamaica as a cheaper alternative to wheat flour. Um, but I was interested in sort of, you know, that that's the facts from some sort of pro-banana flour website. I wanted to find out from a cook. So I went to the website Clever Cook, clevercook.net.au. Uh, and she's got a recipe for chocolate beetroot cake with banana flour, which actually sounds pretty good. She says chocolate and beetroot go together very, yeah, very well, um, which I'd be willing to try. I haven't made the banana flour cake, um, but she, she has some observations other than just the recipe that sounded good. Uh, because it's gluten-free, you'll still need a binder such as eggs or linseeds or xanthan gum to prevent crumbliness. Good to know. Like coconut flour, it browns very quickly, so you may need to cover your cakes mid-cooking to prevent burning. So any bakers out there? Uh, you'll need less banana flour than regular flour because it's got so much fiber. So if you're using, if you would normally use a cup of normal flour, use three quarters of a cup of banana flour. And then she says, too much too soon might make you fart a lot. <laughs> and then I started to think about maybe this isn't something that I want to eat. And then I looked more into, into it a little more and found out that banana flour is used as animal feed in certain parts Whoa. of the world. Uh, and uh, it's also used... Uh, as uh, a coagulant, well, it's used in livestock feeds in India and the Philippines, and it also acts as a coagulant and for use in glue production, mainly plywood glue. That's weird. It sounds like it's a fancy flour, like you'd pay $8 for a muffin at a fancy cafe. Oh, because it's got banana flour in it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. But if you were in India or, or the Philippines you would be feeding it to your livestock and making plywood glue out of it. Hmm. So I've come full circle from <laughs> curious to, you know, uh, intrigued to disgusted. Hmm. Uh, Can you buy it here? Yeah, yeah, uh, at fancy grocery stores. Um, so if anybody has some banana flour recipes they want to share with us, um, shoot them through, ingredipedia.com.au. So let's recap. What did we talk about tonight? 
Um, I talked about a banana dick candle. <laughs> Let's just think about that. Thank you, Emily. Uh, I talked about the uh, slipperiness of a banana uh, scientifically and comedically. Round two, I tracked the demise of bananas in pyjamas. And I explored fake banana flavour and ghost bananas. And then in round three, I um, taught everybody how to peel a banana like a monkey. And I taught everybody how to cook using banana flour and also make glue. (laughs) So it's nice to be back as just a podcast. Thank you for uh, listening again this week. Keep your suggestions coming through for ingredients for us to talk about. Uh, you can hit us on the website, ingredipedia.com.au. Voting still available on our Instagram, ingredipedia. Mm. Yeah, I'll put up some pictures of um, our banana facts so you can vote for whoever's facts you thought were most interesting. And I'll also put up a picture of the banana dick candle because I know that people will want to see it. Yeah, they'll, they'll be really, really intrigued. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. <laughs>